Welcome to another episode of The Deep Dive, in which we take a deeper look at the passage or topic of focus from the weekend's message. Uh, we are in a series called Acts, the Church, the World Needs. I had, I had a moment there where I'm like, wait, am I saying that in the right order? But yes, it is the church the world uh, needs. We've been looking at yep. this question, what is the church? Um, what was the early church like? What can we learn as we um, just think about our role and all, our calling in the world and, and as we seek to be a church that is... Uh, relevant to, uh, to the needs of our community uh, and our world. My name is Brad. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Calvary, joined uh, again this week by Pastor Dan Borth. Who is that guy? I'm Dan. You're Dan. Hi, Brad. Uh, Dan, you got to preach this weekend in uh, Acts 18 and 19. Those I were did. the Those were the uh, the chapters that we focused on. Uh, before we get into that, this is uh, this week is VBS week, and so really exciting. We were here just you know normally we like to record these before the weekend so that they're ready to go um, during the weekend. This week, it's Monday of VBS week. Just so cool um, seeing all the children, just the energy, the volunteers, the workers. Um, yeah, just this really big all-church moment. And I was in the um, the kids, uh, the lower elementary classroom um, today uh, doing the Bible story. I think you're in there later this week. I am. I'm I'm following your example, Brad. And, well, uh, okay. <laughs> and uh, one of the things that struck me, you know, we we have this medium where on Sunday we're we're preaching and there's application. Um, we have this deep dive where you know hopefully we are going you know exploring the depths of whatever the passage or topic is, and yet at the same time there's a very uh, elementary version of all of this that we're reading and. I don't know, I was just struck by that this morning as we're talking through the the story of Jesus' mm. birth and the simplicity of it and the familiarity of it, but yet there's new content every time yeah. we turn to it. And I think that can be said about anything in Scripture, any any of these Bible stories, stories that are familiar to us or stories that are unfamiliar to us. And so in today's episode, we're going to... Um, I'm not really sure how the second... If the second half of Acts, it's not super familiar to me. Like, I'm, I've read it. Yeah, yeah. But there, it just seems like there's a lot of repetition. Oh, and Paul, he went to this, and then he went to this town, and then he did this, and then he went to this town. Yes. So it all kind yes. of blends together. And what we're going to go um, in, a, in a couple spaces here, uh, we're going to explore some passages that um, I don't necessarily always pause on. So that being said, Fair enough. Uh, this weekend, maybe a quick overview, and then yep. uh, we'll kind of move through the text. So Acts chapter 18. Okay, so um, Acts 18 uh, through verse 22. So Acts 18, 22 marks and tells us about the conclusion to the second missionary journey in mm-hmm. Acts. So if we remember, we go all the way back, I think it's to Acts 13, Brad. You mm-hmm. preached on a number of weeks ago. It's the first time the church said... We're selecting and commissioning. We're send missionaries intentionally That's to right. other places. And they went, and they went into Asia Minor and came back. Uh, well, Paul and some companions go, and they go uh-huh. even further. They go into Greece. They, they wind up in Athens. Uh-huh. That's Acts 17. In Acts 18, it kind of charts their course back. I think they were in Corinth for a little bit, and then a place called Sancreia, and eventually back to the, like, uh, Caesarea, Jerusalem, uh-huh. and Antioch, which would be like... North suburb of like Israel, kind of or quite a bit. Yes, yeah. Syria. Yes, um, which is kind of on that northeastern mm-hmm. 
side. You're still on the eastern side, but you're on the northern side of the yes. Mediterranean, um, north of yeah. Israel. And Antioch seems to be this like home base. It's where they were mm-hmm. sent out from. They yep. kind of kept coming back too. Um, one of the dynamics that we see is as uh, this is what I talked about in, in the sermon, is as this story uh, of Acts, this Acts of the Holy Spirit, what's Jesus doing in his church, um, more and more people are beginning to believe in more and more places over more and more time. And so it's like uh. there uh, there just becomes a lot of complexity. Uh-huh. I wouldn't call it complicated, because I do think the gospel has simplicity to it. But there is complexity because, again, some people are learning about Jesus from... Uh, maybe sources that uh, were like third or fourth hand, mm-hmm. and others are learning about Jesus from Paul, who mm-hmm. like Jesus talked to directly. Right. You know, um, some had like the story I would imagine through family and through friends and trade. You know, the 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 witness kind of worked outward, but on the periphery. And anyway, so there's just all these different streams. There's new, very new believers in very new places. There's people who kind of believe and have heard the story. And in Acts uh, 18 and 19, we, we just get a lot of these stories of people who are um, confirmed in their faith, but they're mm-hmm. also built up in it. So sometimes they're slightly corrected, like we have the story of Apollos. I really slowed down over Apollos at the end of chapter 18. So mm-hmm. here's how this goes. 1822, second journey ends. 1823, third journey begins. Yep. Um, when third journey begins, there's a, a dynamic that was just introduced where Paul had had friends, Priscilla and Aquila, who were in a different place than Paul. They meet a man named Apollos. Apollos was, uh, I would call him like a brilliant theologian. He was from a, one of the best educations uh-huh. in, in that time from North Egypt in Alexandria. Probably a charismatic communicator. I think so, and also very familiar with Greek philosophy. Uh-huh. He was able to speak the language of the world he inhabited. And so he was an effective teacher, but he was also a a Christ follower. Uh But his following Christ wasn't necessarily a fully developed understanding. So he's teaching. Priscilla and Aquila hear about him, and they invite him into a conversation, and they they help him understand. um, It sounds like maybe some of his understanding about what baptism was Uh or maybe how someone relates to Christ. It sounds like he was pretty clear on who Christ was. But um, maybe it was identity in Christ or something. They help him understand, and it says that Apollos like received that well, mm-hmm. and then pretty soon says, well, I want to go and I want to keep teaching about Jesus with this fresher, fuller understanding. And they send their friend Apollos to Corinth, which becomes a really interesting storyline because it also pops up in the letters to the Corinthians. Mm-hmm. But um, we won't necessarily unpack that here. I spent a little bit of time on it, and Chris Bance at our... Uh, wonderful partner uh, church, New City, formerly St. Charles Campus. Chris unpacked a lot more of the story of Apollos, and I do recommend, of course, mm-hmm. uh, Chris's sermon. So the third journey launches, and it that happens um, with Apollos. Apollos grows in understanding. Uh, Paul goes to Ephesus, mm-hmm. and there's this, there's this episode where he meets 12 people who um, were intending to be following Jesus, and when they started talking with Paul, he asked them some, some basic questions, like, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they say, well, no, we didn't even hear, the, hear know there's a Holy Spirit. Well, have you been baptized? They said, yes, but into, the, into John's baptism. Uh. So it sounds like way back when John the Baptist was doing his thing around the time of Jesus, that there were some people who carried that forward. And at some point, these 12 people, whether they went to John or just to John's disciples, 
They were following in the line of John's baptism. Yeah. They had heard something of a Messiah, enough to say that we're in the same way as Paul, yep. but they also had understanding. And I, and I so relate to this, right? Uh-huh. Like, I grew up in church. I heard about Jesus all the uh-huh. time, and I chose to believe. But I would say, like, my faith really came online at different moments. Like, when I read uh, Max Lucado's In the Grip of Grace, uh-huh. I felt like I just understood what the gospel was better. Uh-huh. Um, so I totally resonate yeah. with him. So in this section, um, this question of which baptism did they uh, fall into, uh, you know, fall into? Um, the baptism of the super soaker. Well, I, Summer commercial. Whammo. It is interesting that baptism, uh, like the Lord's Supper... Thank you for right, being unfazed is, by that, Brad. <laughs> well, I'm trying to develop a thought, and um, I, it's, it's not polished by any means, but um, there's some like exclusive claim, I think, that we want to, that as Christians, we, we make on baptism, mm. um, because I at least am not aware of other religions that practice baptism. Mm. Perhaps, I, maybe that speaks, you know, speaks more to uh, my need to go and read and learn about other religions, um, but at the time... Like, I think about like the Gospel of Mark. Um, if you have not read Mark recently, I encourage you to go and read the first couple chapters at least. Uh, he gets into the action really quickly, and um, all of a sudden, uh, there's this guy named John. He's on the scene. Jesus shows up. He goes and gets baptized. There's no explanation for what baptism is other than um, there was a baptism of repentance, and all of Israel was going out to be baptized in the Jordan by John. And the, the assumption that I make as the reader, or at least the original readers, uh, who would be uh, familiar maybe with the practice of baptism, like there, there wouldn't necessarily need to be an explanation for what mm-hmm. baptism was, True. other than this was a baptism of repentance, and there were Jewish people who were being baptized. Okay. Now, this, this is something that we probably, um, as Protestants, as evangelicals, we should, probably, we should probably pause on more often, because Jesus, um, so sinless, he's God, perfect sacrifice, like he goes and voluntarily gets baptized. Um, And the type of baptism is it's a baptism of repentance. Well, he doesn't need that because he's God, he's without sin. Like, um, so anyway, there's something there um, that that I just want to, I don't want us to, to miss that this baptism was something, it was a practice that Jewish people did, and particularly that John led. And so it's fascinating that there were yeah. other people who were still disciples yeah. of John or following John. Led, John. and Jesus participated in. That's uh-huh. a huge... Yeah. Uh, when Jesus ascends into heaven, uh-huh. his followers start baptizing believers, no longer in John's tradition, right. but now in the name uh-huh. of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit uh-huh. at different places. In Acts, we'll talk about... We'll see that they were baptized in Jesus' name. Yeah. Um, it, like a, a, a similar in that it represents cleansing, uh-huh. but a difference in that uh, the onus is not on the the person coming living clean now yeah. as much as it is on the name into which they're baptized. Yeah, which seems to be Paul's concern for sure is to make sure they identify with Jesus as Christ for sure. And even with baptism now, when we practice you know baptism in our context, it's a believer's baptism. So somebody who has professed faith in Jesus, they they go and they're baptized in front of the congregation. It's a uh, we act as witnesses for that. But 
in our setting, it becomes a very individual or it can become a very individual or private thing. And yet for this, you know, these early uh, Christians, these new, te- you know, early, early church Christians um, who are, whose identity is very much wrapped up in, in which group are you publicly part of? Like baptism is a, it's a huge deal because you're being baptized in so-and-so's yep. name. Like I now say that my primary allegiance, my primary uh, group identifier is Jesus. Yeah, it's huge. Um, there's another layer to this part of the story. So we're looking at uh, Acts chapter 19, verses like 1 through really verse 7, even though it continues a mm-hmm. little. So not only were they confused uh, in that they hadn't fully understood who Jesus is, they, mm-hmm. they knew from John that they were looking for the Messiah, and I would assume that they heard from John that Jesus is the Messiah. Yep. But now Paul is uh, explaining the gospel. I'd imagine explaining the resurrection some um, and explaining baptism in Jesus' name, now fully aligning with Jesus. Yeah, if it and was no Paul, longer. If it was Paul, I'm sure he. I mean, there's no way he was talking about the gospel without talking about the resurrection. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And and it would make sense, right? Like if they were, they could have been following Jesus, knowing that he'd come, but maybe not knowing the full story. Yeah. Um, I'm conjecturing there a little yep. bit. Um, you could also, uh, one of the constant themes, right, is that Paul continues to bump into Jewish people who are confused by how Jesus changes mm-hmm. their religious allegiance. Mm-hmm. So maybe that was part of it. Maybe mm-hmm. being baptized into John early on solidified a sense of, I'm carrying out my Jewish faith well, um, and now they need to carry out their Christian faith uh, exclusively. So. Yeah. Um, a lot of things uh, that could be going on, but he, he Paul asks them a really interesting question. He says, have you received the Holy Spirit? And in verse 3, um, or verse 2, <laughs> they answer, we have not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Hmm. Um, now, remember the Holy Spirit early in Acts. It's the promised uh, helper that yep. Jesus would send, and the helper and the power that descends in Acts chapter 2 that drives this mission and this witness forward. Well, and, and clearly, I mean, throughout all of Acts, the Holy Spirit is the one that is leading and guiding, directing the early church and all of its movement. And so here, when they are honest about Uh what they lack in their knowledge and in their understanding, Paul invites them in, prays for them to receive the Holy Spirit. It says they do, they speak in tongues, they prophesy, and um, then the story kind of moves on. Yeah, so, okay, there's something fascinating here to me. Uh, in verse 6, right? And Paul had laid his hands on them. The Holy Spirit came on them. They began speaking in tongues and prophesying. So I, I don't know how, how much you want to get into this question, but um, I, I don't have, um, like, part of my, my own story is I, you know, I grew up at Calvary. I went to a, a Southern Baptist um, undergrad and then went to Covenant here in St. Louis, which is a conservative, uh, reformed seminary. My my exposure, my experience with um, Christians who practice uh, some of the spiritual gifts differently than I do is um, I just don't have a ton of experience. Actually, the moments that I have, I'm that, that typical, like, went away to college and had never, you know, encountered someone speaking in tongues or prophesying and then you know, was kind of weirded out at chapel one day when, you know, the charismatic among us was <laughs> down front. I'm like, what is happening? 
Uh, Dan, I know your story is a little different uh, than mine in that in that realm, but like, I guess, how do we make sense of verse six, and how have other traditions, how is even our tradition, um, how do we make sense yeah. of that? It's a good question. Um, yeah, so I grew up in uh, the Assemblies of God, in charismatic setting, and got a lot of love for mm-hmm. uh, that that tradition um, and for that. Uh, background uh, men taught me to love God's word above all else, uh-huh. taught me to um, value a life of following Jesus uh, with a sense of real ownership, uh-huh. you know. Um, so I, I had the opportunity, I took the opportunity for my undergrad to study at an Assemblies of God college and got to look, you know, at the, they have um, just like a statements of faith. Uh-huh. They have 14 particular statements, and in particular, they, they do believe that uh, all uh, believers who are filled with the Holy Spirit will show that, uh, evidence that by speaking in mm-hmm. tongues. And they point to passages like this in Acts where um, these believers didn't know there was a Holy Spirit. They find out, and it's pretty free and natural that then they receive the Spirit mm-hmm. and they speak in tongues, and everyone knows they've received the Spirit because they've spoken in tongues. And so that's, that's one way that some charismatic traditions mm-hmm. understand these texts, is that they are showing us that all believers can and maybe should speak in tongues. And um, that was where, and I want to be very clear, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that, um, they, that it wasn't worth being part, mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed my time. This is where I started to see something different in Uh the text. Um, So when I read this, one of the things that Acts is doing, and Acts is um, set up on a couple of different, like, Uh uh, storytelling frameworks, and one of them is what Jesus had predicted, that the gospel would go from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And each time the gospel moves beyond a an assumed boundary, Uh geographically or ethnically, and it goes into a new place... Um, there is where we see people receiving and speaking in tongues. So in Cornelius, uh-huh. in Acts, I think, 14 maybe, uh, Cornelius receives the gospel, believes in Jesus. Uh, yeah. and he's not uh, Jewish heritage uh-huh. or anything. This is what leads to Acts 15 when uh-huh. we talked about conflict. When he receives, it's said that he's, he and his family speak in tongues. Well, a whole new class of people are, are, are now shown to have fully received the grace of God and Jesus by, the, you know, this, this outpouring of the Spirit. And I, here we are in the farthest, uh-huh. uh, I guess it would be, west, uh-huh. that the gospel has gone and really uh-huh. spent time. Now, Ephesus, Turkey, right? Uh-huh. Modern-day Turkey. It had gone a little farther. It had gone into Athens. It had gone into Greece. But we're definitely a long way from Jerusalem and a long way from Judea, Samaria. And here we are again seeing that when people get clear on who Jesus is, God pours out the fullest huh. experience of his presence, you know, on them. So, and I don't say that as like speaking in tongues is the fullness of the experience. I say yeah. that as the presence of God's spirit yeah. is a the promise for believers. Yeah. And for that to be true in any sense, with any evidence at all, is a wonderful part of the the yeah. good news. Yeah. And it goes as far as Ephesus. And as we read the story, we expect then mm. that the grace of God continues to bring the presence of God and the Spirit in believers mm-hmm. as far as the good news travels. Mm. That's how I've kind of really come to understand it. I don't really begrudge anyone who sees a little more of a direct, sure. because like I also see a little bit of a directive toward believers' baptism in this passage. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very open on it, but that was my journey. I had to think a lot about these things in my early 20s, Mm -hmm. and ultimately for me, 
uh, kind of where we're at now in the yeah. EFCA, I, I do think that this the spiritual gifts that are listed in the New Testament, that God still uh-huh. puts those into play at times and in places. Uh-huh. But the, the headline and the underpinning, like the full encapsulation, is not the gift. Yeah. It's the Spirit. Yeah. God gives the Spirit to believers. Yeah. He puts His Spirit in us when He gives us the faith to believe, and that's His doing, mm. not ours. So He gifts us and He f- mm. help, puts us to work in His church. Mm. And it, I just don't think this passage is about the gift. I think mm-hmm. it's about the giver. Yeah. So no, that's really good, and that's a that is a a hermeneutical principle. So hermeneutics, like ways of interpreting, ways of reading um, God's word, and one of those principles is rather than looking at the the minute verses or words like while every word has meaning they have most meaning in relation to other words right. and so big picture main point of a passage like that's that should always be primary when we're reading learning understanding the text yes cool um, okay so uh, Acts 19 um, then moves into this uh, the songs of Skiva sons of Skiva. sons oh songs the songs of Skiva would, would have be been a great CD. like nineties yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah. grunge. I was actually maybe? thinking the sons of Skiva. Well, here's what was happening. I was setting up a joke on, uh, you know, that the sons of Skiva would be a great like band name. I think it was. And was it? I need to go oh, look it up. I keep saying that. And incredibly uh, predictable at the same time. All right. So the sons of Skiva. Uh, so what happens here? Should we just read the ah. text or what? Yeah, let's read it because what happens here is a wild story. Okay, you want to read it? You want me to? Uh, Peter, how much time are we are, are we at? We'll, all right, we got about ten left. All this right. is perfect. We're right on schedule. Hey, I want time at the end to tell a joke, so okay. I want about one minute right. to tell a really dumb joke. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks. All right, so the sons of Sceva, Acts chapter nineteen, verse eleven, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even his handkerchiefs or aprons that he touched there that that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them. And the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists uh, undertook... Wow, that's a... Pause right there. Yeah. Um, That seems like it could be like a a part of like a Quentin Tarantino plot line. Like... (laughs) Fair. Jewish itinerant exorcists Uh coming along. Um, One of the more obvious things like in history mm-hmm. and in our study Bibles note this and, and so do other scholars, but um, that was kind of a known thing. Like there was a role mm-hmm. and I, I don't want to call it an industry, but like, like uh, historians have found magical textbooks mm-hmm. from magicians, mm-hmm. exorcists, et cetera, in the ancient world. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't just like an, a thing that someone... It was kind of a way, a professional way of going about things. Mm-hmm. So like these people have a little bit of a business in traveling and not exercising, but exorcising. Um, so yeah, please Kay. continue. So then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over... Yep. You want me to stop so okay. <laughs> let's, this is what those uh, historical textbooks, uh, or textbooks, those historical findings, yeah. the, the magic books, yeah. have shown is that um, there there was like a one of the goals was mm-hmm. to get the right incantation to figure out the right name, the right way to say. That there's it. a formula essentially yes. that will generate a successful outcome with this exorcism they're trying yes. to accomplish. In fact, I I read um, and I in, in in just a little bit of 
catching up on these passages. Something I read was really interesting that even some of the pages would just have the same like uh-huh. s- sounds repeated over and over because uh-huh. they were trying to even accidentally say it right. Uh-huh. They there there was a lot of superstition uh-huh. about it about like if I do it the right way uh-huh. then I'll have the power here. So uh-huh. them bringing the name of Jesus into this, they see what's going on through Paul. They want the power for themselves. Well, and and the there was power in being able to say, you know, to say a name, right? So to invoke yeah. a particular name, especially in the ancient world, um, it, there's a reason in the Ten Commandments, right? Don't take, you know, the Lord's name in vain, right? It's yes. a thing, is because there was this idea that if you could name something, you're exercising power over it, mm. um, wow. and you're manipulating, you're forcing. So, um, so anyway, they undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you. By the, I just want to walk around. I adjure you. That's an interesting thing. Uh, by the name, uh, by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognized, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. All right, let's pause right there. Okay. It does remind me of something Jesus said. He said, like, there will be some who will say, Lord, Lord, did we not do miracles in your yeah. name, cast out demons in your name? In Jesus, at the end of the time, will, at the end of the age, will say, away from me, I never knew you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just this freaky episode that carries the idea that a relationship to and with Jesus is where any spiritual power is at. Yeah. And it was from Jesus' own words. I think that's Matthew chapter 7, yeah. the Sermon on the Mount. But um, So this this actually is a weird story, but it has a positive effect. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the evil spirits, they come on out. They do. And the rest of this is fear falls upon everyone. The name of the Lord is now extolled mm-hmm. rather than manipulated. Mm-hmm. Um, many who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. So that that's also interesting. Again, mm-hmm. we see another episode here mm-hmm. where people were believing in Jesus, but yeah. as they were coming to understand more about him, they were continuing to change in their, in their Christian identity. Mm-hmm. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, which this was a very public, costly demonstration. Mm-hmm. It was saying something in the old world. Mm-hmm. And they counted the value of those and found it came to a lot of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And when I first read this, I was like, oh, of course this fell on the week I'm supposed to preach, right? <laughs> a weird story. Like, But the more that I... I uh, it's, it's not that I like pondered this for hours on hours, you know, staring at the sunset, but I, I did spend an, enough time in the text. What's so fascinating is at the end of the second missionary journey and the beginning of the third, proclaiming the word of the Lord continues to bring clarity uh-huh. to it. Uh-huh. So proclaiming the good news of Jesus continues to bring clarity. And this is interesting because, let's think about what's at stake here. If an itinerant exorcist could take the power, the name of Jesus, and use it in its power without any personal faith, yeah. then the gospel is something different. Yeah. But here in this, like, what's shown, and what, what the story, I think, is, is told to prove, is that the good news of Jesus intends to be internalized... Hmm. And in being internalized, it's supposed to then live out through the person. It's uh-huh. not an external thing to be manipulated, controlled, and utilized. Uh-huh. It's to be internalized, uh-huh. and it has that effect. When people uh-huh. start fearing the name of the Lord, they start recognizing, my goodness, all of this superstition 
has no place in the Christian yeah. faith or life. And so they willingly then, uh, repent is the right word, but they, they change their thinking on, yeah. the, on the issue. And I think we're the same. Yeah. I just don't think we understand like who Jesus is and what He's done fully. I, I think that as we practice greater love for Him we begin to see ourselves in the world a little more clearly, and that leads to change. Yeah. But change can't be manipulated or forced. Yeah. It's not a power play. It's, yeah. a, it's, it's Again, it's the Spirit internally doing work here to live out the glory of God yeah. in this world. Cool. That's really good. Last right. thing in 19. Yeah. There's a riot. There's a riot. So this is a fascinating thing. Uh, some of the exegetical thought. So this is verse 21 through the end of chapter 19. Some of the thought exegesis is reading out of the uh-huh. text. Why would Luke include this dialogue here? And um, some of the thought is that it actually provided a framework for believers who were going through persecution for how to defend themselves in the public square mm. when questioned about their faith. Uh-huh. Paul go. Paul gets put on the scene, and it turns out that Paul doesn't even get to defend himself, yeah. but other like legal yeah. voices in Ephesus, they, they actually calm this riot, and they um, bring legal sense uh-huh. to this new religion that's popping up, uh-huh. this new way of faith. So it's a really fascinating thing, yeah. but we don't have to... Well, and even a, one of the minor parts of it, of there is that there were the people who were converting and joining this Christian movement... Uh, there were others who were having, you know, it was having an adverse effect on their business. Yeah, that's right. Um, right, so that even the the silversmith there um, was not Demetrius. Yeah, he was not. Uh, yeah, he was losing out on a profit because so many people were, or a noticeable number of Christians were, yeah, not coming to him anymore. Man, oh man. So may it be that money not be a reason we walk to or from faith. Yes, so, you know. Yeah. Uh, all right, so before we go, you said you had a joke. I do, I do. I mean, you, you started well, the sermon with a joke. I do, and so I, I want to book it. So fitting to end That's the right. deep dive with one. So much of these passages just made me feel like uh, like seen in the fact that there are many voices that talk about Jesus and many different kinds of religion in the world. Mm-hmm. And that was the case in Acts 18 and 19. Yep. And the goal isn't to squash all voices. The goal is to simply bring clarity to the good news of Jesus. So in that spirit, uh, this joke isn't about denominations, which is what I opened with. I told a joke that was false. It was about Brad and, and uh, yeah. anyway, check it out. I got a really good laugh in the room. Yeah, yeah. That's, I was laughing in the This back joke there. is just about religion in general, uh, and it's one of my favorites. So a priest, a minister, and a rabbi are all friends, and they decide they're going to go to breakfast. Okay. So they go to the local cafe, and they sit down, and uh, the, the waitress knows them, and the waitress comes up and says, Hey, guys, you want the usual? And without really saying anything, the priest says, No, not today. And he says, um, I'm you know, observing a time of quiet and of restraint. So I'm going to start my morning with cereal, and I'd like to start it with just cornflakes, plain, uh, a third of a cup of milk, and it basically is going minimalist, and his friends understood, and they kind of teased him a little bit because they knew each other well. And the minister, he says, well, I'm under no such thing. I'll take frosted flakes, fill it to the top, and as much milk as you can get in that bowl. Thank you very much. The rabbi says, well, let's see, I, I think, I, well, today seems like a lovely day for flavor. I'll, I'll, I would like some tricks. And the waitress says, silly rabbi, tricks are for kids. 
All right, <laughs> on that note. <laughs> anyway, on that note, thanks for listening and uh, tuning into this week's episode of The Deep Dive. Uh, you can find this resource and more on our website, calvary.church slash resources. Um, if you have any questions, uh, any comments, you can please throw that in the comments section if you are watching on YouTube or shoot us an email uh, at podcast at calvary.church. Uh, as we say, we want to keep our Bibles open because Jesus matters most, and we will catch you again next week on, the, on another episode of The Deep Dive. Thanks for listening to The Deep Dive, a Calvary Church Media Productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.